First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning. My name is Cody, like Pastor just said, and I got to tell you, I love what our worship team and our orchestra does. I love that song, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood Applied. And I told the last service, if that song doesn't get your fire going, then the wood is wet, right? And so I want to invite you to open up with me to chapter number 25 of the book of Acts. Uh, That's where we're going to be this morning. But I just want to start off by telling you that, in my opinion, uh, one of the most exciting things about being the parents of a young child or young children is the opportunity that we get to watch the same shows over and over and over. And for seven years of my life, a 20-minute DVD called Baby Road Trip reigned supreme in our home. Whether we were at home or on a 20-hour car ride, that DVD played on repeat. I can just about recite the story of the show verbatim, and there's even an annoying little song that plays throughout the whole of the video that is forever uh, etched into my mind. Thankfully, after a seven-year run, Baby Road Trip has phased out, uh, but only uh, to allow room for Frozen uh, to now take its place. And I have a five-year-old daughter that is obsessed with all things Elsa, Anna. So when Tropical Storm Elsa came, oh my gosh, it was so exciting. But now that song, or that show rather, is played on repeat in our house. If the show is not playing, the songs are being sung. And sometimes it's this really soft, sweet, low-key singing to herself in her bedroom as she's playing. And other times she is in an Elsa dress running through the house, belting it out like she's on Broadway. And there's only so much that a man can take, right? Uh, And so I am in no hurry for her to grow up, but I am anxiously awaiting the day that whenever it comes to Frozen, she can find it within herself to just let it go. (laughs) And... So dad joke there, it's prerogative as dad. But you know, I can only imagine at this phase in the, Apostle, in the Apostle Paul's life, what he is going through mentally, because just like I watch Frozen on repeat, there, his life is in a phase where it's on repeat. And it would drive me crazy because I'm not a person who likes repetition. I don't like watching the same shows or the same movies over and over and over. I don't like to have the same conversations over and over. I don't like to see the same scenery day in and day out. I don't even like the furniture in our house to be in the same place for very long. And it drives my wife absolutely insane because I'll get it in my mind that we need to rearrange the furniture. And she said, Cody, we just did that last week. Let's just just keep it where it's at. Uh, But the Apostle Paul is in a rut, right? He's in a rut where the same cycle keeps playing itself out. And so I want to take a look at at Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, and see what God has for us today. It says, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered and that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore he said, let those, of you, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. And when he had remained among them for more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought." 
And when he had come down, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? And so Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender, or if I have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, then no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. And then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, he answered and said, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for today. God, we just thank you for this time to come and open your word and to uh, see what it is that you have for us through this passage of scripture, God, that seems to be repeating itself over and over. And so, God, I pray today that your spirit would steer in our hearts and, God, that you would challenge us uh, concerning the, the courage that it takes to proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition. God, we love you and we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, interjected into Paul's life, interjected into his adventure, and here we see that yet again, Paul is being accused of, of crimes um, deserving of death, frankly, for the fourth time in as many chapters. And each time we find that it has the same result, that he is just found innocent. And so I can imagine, as someone who dislikes repetition, that at this point, Paul may be uh, losing his mind just a little bit from being trapped in a jail cell for two years and also in a season of life that just keeps repeating itself. I certainly believe that maybe uh, he's getting trial fatigue. Luke seems to be getting trial fatigue because the, the synopsis that he gives us of this trial is just very short. Like they accused him of some things, he denied it, he moves on, right? He's getting a little tired of writing the same thing over and over. And so I even ask myself as I study and as I pray and as I prepare, God, what is it? in this passage of scripture that you want us to, to learn from this repetition, from all of these trials playing out in Paul's life. And as, and as I prayed and as I listened, I felt God, or I, I believe God impressed upon my heart a very simple truth. And that simple truth is that the gospel message and those who proclaim it will always face opposition. The, the gospel message and the gospel mission will always have adversaries. It will always be under attack. It will always face obstacles. And the simple truth is that sometimes those obstacles uh, will come from within ourselves, right? Even as children of God, sometimes the obstacles to the advancement of the gospel come from within as, as fear and maybe pride and maybe boredom with the monotony of life kind of kick in and hold us back and cause us to lose focus. Sometimes the opposition might come from the others, from others around us. As the world around us develops an intensifying love for the things of this world, they simultaneously develop an intensifying hatred of all things gospel-centered, right? And so sometimes that opposition will come from other people, and sometimes that opposition will come from a delusional enemy who has convinced himself that he still has a glimmer of hope of winning the war uh, that he has waged against the gospel's message. And so the gospel message and those who proclaim it will always face opposition. 
And I'm so glad that that is not the only thing that we learn from this passage of Scripture. Because as we look to this passage of Scripture, we also learn that the plans and the purposes of God will always prevail. We learn that the plans and the purposes of God will always prevail, and primarily uh, for two reasons, or for one big reason with two uh, sub-reasons, and the big primary reason is that we serve a God who reigns sovereign over all things. That includes the uh, opposition and the things that we face in this life. And so that God who reigns supreme uh, gives us the confidence to move forward because we know that he has already overcome the world, right? That's what he tells his disciples in John chapter 16 when he all but guarantees them that difficulties are going to come, opposition is going to come, persecution is going to come. He guarantees them that, but then in the very next sentence, he says, but take heart, be courageous just because I have already overcome the world. And so we know that the purposes and the plans of God will will move forward because a sovereign God has already defeated every plan that the enemy could ever wage against the advancement of the gospel. God has already defeated the enemy. The second reason is that because God in his sovereignty in every generation and at all times has men and women who have willing hearts, who are willing to step forward with boldness and and courage and take the mantle of the gospel forward. In every generation and in all times, God has those who are his, who are willing to step out by faith regardless of the opposition that they face and carry on with his plans and his purposes. He had that with Abraham when Abraham by faith was willing to offer up his own son. He had that with Noah when Noah by faith uh, continued to build the ark even as there was a lack of rain and others were ridiculing him. He had that with Mary, the mother of James and Mary Magdalene and the mother of the sons of thunder as they are the three women who are present at the cross when everyone else save John has fled in fear because of the persecution that Jesus is facing. He had that in Lydia when she was the first convert in all of Europe and she by faith stepped out to open up her home so that a church could be established there so that others may come to know the goodness of God. God has in every generation people who have willing hearts who step out in boldness and courage to carry forth the mantle of the gospel. And he's had those individuals for the last 2,000 years, names of which you and I will never know this side of heaven, who have boldly and courageously stepped up to the plate and gone about the plans of the Father. And one such person that we're going to study today is, of course, the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at three ways that the Apostle Paul displayed a willing heart in his life. And the first way that we see a willing heart in the life of the Apostle Paul is that Paul was willing to bloom where he was planted. That is a phrase that I have heard over and over throughout my ministry. Go to just bloom where you're planted. And Paul had a heart that was willing to do just that. I mean, as we are interjected into Paul's life at this point in time, he has been in prison for two years. He is at the tail end of a two-year stint where he has been in the same place or around the same people doing the same thing for two years. And one of the really interesting things that we see in this passage is that he somewhat uh, does it willingly, right? He is somewhat a, a willing prisoner in the house of Felix. And you say, well, Cody, he's a prisoner. How can he be willing? Well, certainly he could do nothing about the fact that he was a prisoner. 
But what he could do is much sooner than he did appeal to Caesar. He could have appealed to Caesar two years ago when he first realized that Felix would never give him justice. He could have appealed to Caesar in that instant and saved himself two years, but Paul willingly stayed and it had to be for a reason. There had to be a reason that Paul would willingly subject himself to two years in the same place because Paul was a man on mission. He was a man with a plan. He was a man who loved to go on missionary journeys. He had already been on three. He was a man who longed to plant new churches. He was a man who longed to go back and visit the churches he had already planted. So why in the world would Paul at this point in his life cease all of those plans just to stay as a prisoner in Caesarea? And I think that it's because he saw an opportunity. And it's the opportunity uh, that pastor spoke about last week. You see in Acts chapter 24 verses 26 and 27, we see as pastor put it last week that Paul got to start a Bible study in the house of Felix and Drusilla. And over the course of two years, he got to constantly have conversations with them. And if we know Paul, we know that those conversations were probably gospel-centered. We know that he did not pass up any opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And so for two years, he got to share the gospel in the house of Felix. And not just to Felix and Drusilla, but more than likely also to their servants, to their butlers, to their maids, to their guards, to the counselors of state, and all of these people. Paul sensed an opportunity, and so he made a decision to bloom where he planted, where God had divinely placed him. And then as we get into chapter number 25 and verse number 6, we see that yet again, Paul blooms where he is planted as he is subject, subjected to another trial. And it says that when Festus had come and he was sitting on the judgment seat in chapter, verse number 6, and he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Now we get a very small glimpse of what went on in this trial. But the trial was much longer. And Paul would have had an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to a new crowd, to a new governor, maybe to new counselors of state, maybe to new bodyguards, maybe to new uh, spectators that had come around to watch the trial of Paul. The thing about Paul is that regardless of whatever situation he was in, whether he was on trial, whether he was in a prison, whether he was in the temple or teaching from the second story room of a house causing a young man to fall asleep and fall out of the window, Paul was always fruitful. Paul was willing to bloom where he was planted because he understood that God had divinely placed him where he was for such a time as this. And sometimes it can be hard to do, right? Sometimes as we get into the monotonous of life, sometimes as we face the opposition of others, sometimes as we encounter difficulty, being fruitful and blooming uh, where we are planted can be very difficult because fear creeps in, pride creeps in, boredom creeps in, and we become unmotivated and we become careless. That is until we, like Paul, recognize that regardless of where we're at in life, regardless of the, the deck that life has dealt us, we too are called to be fruitful. We too are called to bloom where we are planted. We too are called to take advantage of every opportunity that we have to advance the gospel. 
And so we too have to get to the point where we realize that that same old sphere of influence, whether it is people that we like or maybe people who are against us, but that same old sphere of influence is an opportunity for the gospel. That same old job that we go to day after day after day is an opportunity for the gospel. You see, Paul took advantage of every situation that he was in and he bloomed where he was planted and we should do the same regardless of the opposition that we face. Secondly, we see that Paul was willing to die to self. I mean, as we look through Paul's life and as we study his life, we find that over the course of all the years that he was in ministry, he faced ridicule. Uh, He was ostracized. He faced accusations, meritless accusations. He was run out of town. He was stoned and left for dead. He was targeted and plotted against and the subject of an intense hatred at the hands of the Jews. Yet as we study Paul's life, we see that he navigated all of that in such a way that he placed no obstacle between other people and the gospel. Chapter number 25, verse number 8, we read Paul give a defense of himself, and he says, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. And it's really easy to glance over this and see a general denial of what he has been accused of. But there is something deeper that I think uh, merits worth talking about. And that thing is that at this point, In Paul's life, in Acts chapter number 25, Paul has been involved in ministry for 25 or 26 years, depending on who you read. So for a quarter of a century, uh, Paul has been going out and carrying forth the gospel message, sometimes having heated and passionate encounters for the gospel, sometimes uh, having missteps, certainly facing 25 years of obstacles, and And as these guys, as the Sanhedrin and as Tertullus from last week, as they would have gone through and dug through his life, they could never find a single charge that would stick against Paul. In 25 years of ministry, 25 years of being in in pressure-filled circumstances and facing opposition and persecution, they could never find anything that would stick that they could use to rid themselves of this pest named Paul. And what's more is, even from their last trial, they have had two years to build on what they presented to Felix. They've had two years to to dig through Paul's life and find evidence. They've had two years to refine their technique, to maybe find other witnesses who could corroborate some of the accusations that they're leveling against him. But every single time they tried to do it, they came up short because Paul was willing to die to self. And he was willing to live a life that did nothing to place an obstacle that others would have to overcome in getting to the gospel. Paul lived a life that followed a general pattern of integrity, even in the midst of trial. And Paul's response is not a natural one. I can guarantee you that our flesh is not telling us to turn the other cheek or to be gracious or to live with integrity. When we face opposition, our flesh is going to tell us to get even. Our flesh is going to tell us to vindicate ourselves, to validate ourselves. Our flesh is going to tell us that whatever they do to me, I'm going to do to them. So you know what? You throw a stone at me, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to throw it back at you. 
You hate me, that's okay, I'm going to hate you too. But the gospel compels us to do something different. The gospel compels us to always have our speech seasoned with grace, whether that be online or in person or about politics or about family or whatever it is. The gospel compels us to be forgiving and to turn the other cheek. The gospel compels us to go the extra mile even for those who oppose us. And so Paul's reaction is not a natural one, but Paul understood something that we need to understand today, that it is absolutely crucial for us as purveyors of the gospel to do nothing that places an obstacle between others and the gospel. We too should live a life that is characterized by integrity. Thirdly, we see that Paul was willing to walk through the doors that God had opened. Chapter 25, verses number 11 and 12, it says, For, I, uh, for, I am an, for if I uh, am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. And then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And so finally here we see the Apostle Paul, two years after I would have personally appealed to Caesar, is finally appealing to Caesar. And there are many different uh, reasons that people suppose as to why he did that. Some say that he was fearful of the Jews because even two years later they still had a plot uh, to kill him. They say some did, said that he did it uh, because he didn't trust Festus to uh, deliver justice. But I think there's something deeper going on here. Something that we don't see at work on the pages of scripture, but something that is going on in Paul's heart and his life. Because a few chapters ago, when this opposition uh, began to rise up in Jerusalem, he got a command from God that he would go to Jerusalem, and that, or to Rome rather, and that he would bear witness for God at Rome. We know uh, that Paul had a desire to go to Rome. And so in this moment, as Paul is on trial yet again, we see Paul's desire to go to Rome and God's will for him to go to Rome and God's timing for Paul to go to Rome all intersect at this one point. And so at this point in time, God is impressing upon Paul that now is the time to go. Now you are being released from Caesarea and the ministry that you had there and I am calling you to Rome and this is the avenue that you're gonna go through to get there. And so Paul, responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, appealed to Caesar and is now going to be on his way to Rome. I don't believe that Paul did this to escape opposition. I don't believe that Paul did this because he saw it as the easy way out because you and I both know that we never know what is behind the doors that God opens for us. We never know what lies on the other side. It could have been freedom for Paul. It could have been persecution for all he knew. It could have been death for all he knew. And actually, the very man that he is appealing to is the man who would a few years later sign his death warrant. He's appealing to a man named Nero. At this point in time, Nero doesn't really seem to be all that bad, but later, a few years down the road, Nero is going to develop an intense hatred for Christians, and he is going to begin to persecute them grossly. You see, Paul, but Paul was willing to courageously walk through the doors that God had opened. And you and I, as God opens those doors, we walk through them understanding that opposition is more than likely because when we step out by faith and we boldly step into what God has for us, the enemy hates it. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to cause us to be fearful or to stumble us up or to keep us from taking the mantle of the gospel forward. 
And so we can be certain that opposition is just on the other side of the door, but we can also have the confidence of knowing that whatever opposition is on the other side of that door, God has already overcome it. And that there is no weapon that is formed against us that shall ever be raised. Because God has already overcome the world. And so we can move forward with boldness and courage as we, like Paul, walk through the doors that God has opened for us. The gospel message and those who proclaim it will always face opposition. This side of heaven, you and I will face opposition as we seek to, by faith, carry the mantle of the gospel forward. But you and I do not have to succumb to that opposition because that opposition carries no effectiveness against us. So we don't have to be fearful of the opposition of others. We don't have to be fearful of the opposition from the enemy because Jesus Christ has already overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, you and I can uh, have courage and, and confidence as we seek to follow his plan for our lives. In the end, think about this. In the end, all of the opposition against Paul failed. Felix never got his money, right? That's what he wanted. That's what he was waiting on to release Paul is for Paul to pay him off. Felix never got that money. Actually, Felix's career in Caesarea ended because of his corruption. Festus never gained favor. That's what he wanted, right? He wanted to gain favor with the Jews by finding some way to hand Paul over to the Jews, but he never got that, he never gained that favor. And the Jews were never got the opportunity to carry out their plot to kill Paul. All of the opposition has failed. But what we do find is that the plans and the purposes of God have prevailed. And all of their ill intentions have actually served for the advancement of the gospel. All of their ill intentions against Paul have actually served for the gospel to spread from Jerusalem to where he was originally arrested to Caesarea where he spent two years in prison and now on his way to Rome where he will go and encourage the church there and spread the gospel there and everywhere in between. Their ill intentions actually served to the spread of the gospel. The opposition fails, but God's plan prevails. And here's the thing, as we read about Paul, we see that this incredibly strong man who, who lived life on mission with intensity and with zeal. And, but I just want to tell you that all of these traits that we looked at in Paul's life today, none of them are natural to Paul. And none of them are unique to Paul. Every trait that we have looked at, whether it's a willingness to bloom where he was planted or a willingness to die to self or a willingness to walk through the doors that God has opened, every single one of those traits are a result of the work of God in Paul's life. They are not out of Paul's own strength or his own might. It is the Holy Spirit and Paul's life. It is, the very, it is Paul's experience with the very same gospel that he is defending that has made the difference in Paul, that has given him the boldness and the courage and the strength to continue on despite the opposition. And if you today are a child of God, you have that very same spirit inside of you. 
We have that very same spirit inside of us that is steering in our lives, causing us to grow more into the image of God, strengthening us and encouraging us and, and causing us to be bold and giving us a desire to step out and to step forward with the mantle of the gospel. And that truth has, has been told for thousands and thousands of years as God has repeated the process whereby he takes those who are his that have willing hearts and he causes them to grow in courage and boldness even as they face opposition. Even today, the gospel's influence spreads with magnificent intensity in the places where persecution is the worst. In the Middle East and in Asia, we see the gospel exploding even as people face, even as believers face opposition and persecution. And that is because opposition and persecution, they serve as, a, as fuel for the flame of courage and hope. And as God's people are, are encouraged and as they experience opposition, it emboldens the willing and it causes the light of the gospel to grow brighter and brighter and the reach of the gospel to go further and further. We don't have to fear opposition. Because opposition actually serves in a supernatural way as a motivator for God's people to rise, rise up and carry forth the mantle of the gospel. That truth has been told and lived out for thousands and thousands of years. And so my prayer today, especially as we live in a country where we are increasingly facing opposition where the gospel increasingly comes under intense scrutiny. My prayer is that today you and I would be among those who are willing uh, to step up to the plate with boldness and encourage, but with integrity, and carry the gospel forward and spread the gospel all throughout Brevard County and into our state and into our country and then to the nations. See, it's going to take that boldness and that cour courageousness to get the job done, but it's what you and I are called to do. And it starts right here in this room with you and I being, the, being willing to, to step forward into what God has for us regardless of what it is that he has for us. And in this room this morning, there, there may be some of you who find all of this to be foreign. This idea of courageously and boldly stepping into opposition and persecution for the sake of the gospel. And it might be foreign to you because today you have not yet come to the place where you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And this morning as we prepare to close, I just want to tell you that there will be some pastors down here who are willing to walk through that with you. Who are willing to show you how you too can step into the abundant life that God has for you. That you too can step into a courageous life that carries the mantle of the gospel forward. How you too can taste and see that the Lord is good and allow him to change your life just as he changed Paul, just as he's changed mine and countless others throughout the generations. And so today as these pastors come down here, I want to invite you as, as we sing, as these pastors are here, if that's you today, if you have a need of the gospel, please come forward, speak to these pastors, speak to myself. As they come and as, as Pastor David plays and sings, if you need to come and pray for courage in the face of opposition, come and do that today. Stand with me as you, if you will as we pray and then you come. Father, we just thank you for today. God, we just thank you for your word and we thank you for Paul's example. God, of a life that courageously stepped into whatever it is that you had for him for the sake of the gospel. 
And God, I pray today that your, your spirit would steer within us and create in us a desire to do the same. A desire to be used by you regardless of what it is, regardless of what it causes us to face. But God, just steer in us a willingness to step out, knowing that you have already overcome the world. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today who is not a believer, God, that today would be the day of their salvation. And God, that you would, your spirit would impress upon their hearts to simply come. Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.